Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Joshua in chapters 5 and 6. Listen to God's word for us this morning. Once when Joshua was by Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you one of us or are you one of our adversaries? He replied, Neither, but as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. And he said to him, What do you command your servant, my Lord? The commander of the army of the Lord said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and out because of the Israelites. No one came out and no one went in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have handed Jericho over to you, along with its king and soldiers. You shall march around the city, all the warriors circling the city at once. Thus you shall do for six days, with seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, the priests blowing the trumpets. When they make a long blast with ram's horn, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout out with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall charge straight ahead. So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and have seven priests carry seven trumpets of the ram's horns in front of the Ark of the Lord. To the people he said, Go forward and march around the city. Have the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord passed on, blowing the trumpets continually. The armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark to the Lord, while trumpets blew continually. On the second day, they marched around the city once, and then returned to the camp. They, they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at dawn and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpets, they raised a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people charged straight ahead into the city and captured it. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew 28, verses 18 to 23. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a few years ago, I regretfully made the decision to run the LA Marathon, and the marathon itself was tough, don't get me wrong, but the training was part of what was so grueling. 
Every week I had to do these long runs to prepare myself for the marathon. And on one of the runs, I had to run 18 miles. So I would go down to the Rose Bowl, which is a three-mile loop, and I would run laps. On the 18-mile run that I had to do, I had to run six laps of the Rose Bowl. So I texted my parents, because I was pretty proud of myself. This was the furthest I had ever run before. And my dad, who, mind you, is also a theologian, texted me back and said, next time you finish doing the six laps of the Rose Bowl, you and your friends should shout as loud as you can and see if the Rose Bowl collapses like it did at Jericho. (laughs) It's always dangerous when dad jokes and Bible jokes combine. It's hysterical to think about running around the Rose Bowl six times, then blowing trumpets and shouting, and then watching it come crumbling down. And yet the Bible tells us this story of God, the people of God confidently marching around the wall of a city multiple times, and then on the seventh day, marching around it seven times, and then shouting, blowing trumpets, and watching it come crumbling down. Many of us here read for our jobs or school, and we pride ourselves on how rapidly we can get through large quantities of material. We've been taught how to skim through readings and find the plot and the major points and just keep moving. But as an Old Testament scholar, Ellen Davis, puts it, the Bible discourages us from making mileage a measure of success. In many cases, the Bible's riches are only perceptible to those who move slowly, peering closely where at first there appears to be nothing at all to see. So this morning, instead of marveling at the strangeness of the passage and quickly moving on, we're going to peer a little closer at this story. Because, spoiler alert, I think this story has some pretty good news to offer us if we just look a little closer. See, our story starts out in Joshua 5 with the kind of moment that I think should give us the chills. Joshua was by Jericho, and he looked up to see a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn and claiming to be the commander of the Lord's heavenly force. That's quite a way to begin a story. It's kind of the epic moment that we really dream of having with God. Maybe you were like me and you found yourself at an impasse some point in your life and not so jokingly told God that a burning bush would be really great right about now. When we're at a point of having to make important decisions, it would be helpful to have some tangible sign from God telling us exactly what to do. That's exactly what Joshua gets here. Like the burning bush moment with Moses, the commander of God's army meets Joshua, and then God gives Joshua an exact play-by-play strategy for how to defeat Jericho. And while many of us probably haven't had moments like Moses or Joshua, we have likely had moments where we have been reminded undeniably that God is with us. Maybe for you, it's been getting a job in the final hour just when you thought all hope was lost, and it was one so much more than you could have imagined. And when you have needed something so desperately and somehow things have fallen into place, maybe desperately needed financial provision of some kind, and it's come. Or perhaps you've seen someone miraculously healed, or you've just had the wonder of having your prayers answered so clearly. 
Though our moments may not always be as clear as Joshua, these moments are little reminders that God is with us, and they give us the strength to keep going. So after Joshua was reminded of God's presence and received the strategy from God, Joshua then told the people what they needed to do, and then they went to the city of Jericho. You see, Jericho, though, was not just a random city that God told the people to enter. Jericho was the first city in the land of Canaan that was the promised land that God had promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. Jericho as a city represented the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. Through their years of oppression and their years of wandering in the wilderness, this was the promise that the Israelites had been waiting for. In fact, this was the city that God had just told Joshua a few verses earlier that God had already given to Joshua. Past tense. But when they got there, they found a wall. And the first thing that we are told in Joshua 6 is that Jericho was shut up inside and out. No one came out and no one went in. After having just been reminded of God's presence in a phenomenal fashion, Israel comes up against an impenetrable obstacle. Of course. Just when they thought things were going their way, that God was on their side and it was finally going to be okay, they hit a huge obstacle. The promise of God was waiting on the other side of an insurmountable wall. I imagine that Jesus' disciples in the New Testament could probably relate to that feeling. You see, we know and we heard in the song earlier that Jesus was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus was with them. They dropped everything to follow him. They gave up their livelihood, their work, their family to follow God. God gave the disciples the biggest sign of his presence that we know. He gave them his son. Then Jesus gave the disciples the play-by-play of what was going to happen. He told them that he would die and rise again on the third day. God gave the disciples the strategy for how victory would be won, how God's promises would be fulfilled. But consider for a moment how the disciples would have felt the moment Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross and they heard the one called Emmanuel, God with us, cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine that would have been crushing to hear. The God who promised to never leave nor forsake his people had sent his only son to deliver God's people, and yet the same son was asking why God had forsaken him. The disciples hit their wall. They knew God's promises, they knew God was faithful, but that wall felt insurmountable. We can know that God is faithful and have an amazing experience with God but it becomes more difficult when we hit those walls that feel unbeatable. When our present reality doesn't seem to match the reality of what we were promised. For some here, that could be financial difficulty or instability. 
We pray each week after joys and concerns the Lord's Prayer, asking God to give us our daily bread just as God had fed Israel each day with manna from heaven. And yet, like the Israelites, we aren't sure that manna will fall again tomorrow. We aren't quite sure if we're going to make it. Or maybe it's the loss of a job, or assurance of an income or a livelihood, or loss of a friend or family member or even of a marriage, things that we have counted on. Or even like just this weekend, hearing of the shooting. And in this political climate, as we come up to another election, and feeling like we're hitting these insurmountable walls. As many of you may know, I didn't actually grow up in the U.S. I grew up in Australia. And when I was in my undergrad degree, I originally had the plans that I would work in international relations. I wanted to be a diplomat and work for the U.N. And I started taking some classes in philosophy along with international relations and decided I wanted to make that another major. And as I read more in philosophy and I was volunteering in youth ministry at the same time, I started to realize that I was more interested in theology and philosophy than I was in government. And so my dad, being a theologian, said to me, have you thought about doing a postgraduate degree in theology? Obviously not. So I looked into it, and I found Fuller's program. And for the first time in my life, I felt this strong sense of cold that the U.S. was where I needed to be. So three years later, I picked up and moved to the U.S. at the age of 21, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I was so excited because, I mean, in that moment, I was kind of like, look at me following God's call in my life. I was pretty proud. And I was so sure that if I felt like God was calling me somewhere, that things would fall into place. But within weeks of moving the dog that I had grown up with died. A long-term relationship that I was in ended. My parents, who had come out with me to help me move in, went back home. And I was an extrovert all alone. I had no church community, nobody that I knew my age, and even though I still spoke English, this was a country and culture that didn't quite make sense to me. And I remember sitting on the floor of my room asking God, why? I had this experience with God. I had this feeling of calling, and yet I found myself against an insurmountable wall. Even though I knew God was faithful. In our faith journey, we can know God's promises, and we can know that God is faithful. But then we hit these walls, and we don't know what to do. Knowing that God is faithful doesn't feel like enough. But in our story, as it was in Joshua, there is good news. As a part of the plan to march around the city, God told the Israelites to carry that Ark of the Covenant behind the seven priests and before the people. They carried the Ark of the Covenant every time they marched around the city. This was not an insignificant detail. That ark would have been heavy. And that's a big thing to ask them to carry this ark around the city that many times. But there's a reason why they were willing to do it. 
You see, God said to Moses before the Israelites were delivered from slavery in Egypt, he said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. I set up my covenant with them in the land of Canaan. I've heard the cry of grief of the Israelites, and I have remembered my covenant. Tell the Israelites that I will bring them out of Egypt and rescue them from slavery. I'll take them as my people, and I'll be their God. I'll bring you into the land that I promised to give to Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, and I'll give it to you as your possession. You see, God made a promise to Israel that they would be his people. God promised Israel that he would be with them and would deliver them into the promised land. And then, after God had delivered the Israelites from Egypt, God held true to his promise and formed this covenant with his people at Mount Sinai. Israel was God's people, and God was their God. And then God told Moses that a sanctuary should be made so God could be present among them. The Ark of the Covenant was that sanctuary. The Ark was for Israel the visible sign of the presence of God. The Ark accompanied the people through their trek through the desert from Mount Sinai to Canaan, across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. The ark was that constant reminder of the covenant that God had made with Israel, the reminder that God was with them. And just as God went in front of the people when, he was, when they were escaping Egypt in a column of cloud by day to guide them and a column of lightning by night to give them light, the ark guided the people by day and night. And just as we are told in Exodus that that column never left its place in front of the people, neither did the ark leave its place in front of the people. At the beginning of the book of Joshua, we remember that God said to Joshua in chapter 1, I've commanded you to be brave and strong, haven't I? Don't be alarmed or terrified because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. With the Ark of the Covenant, Joshua and the Israelites knew that God was with them wherever they went. Now, we no longer have the Ark of the Covenant to remind us of God's promises and his continued presence with us on the journey. We have Jesus Christ. Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. The name Jesus is also the Greek form of the Hebrew word for Joshua, which means the Lord saves or helps. Hebrews 6 tells us that when God made a promise to Abraham, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently endured, obtained the promise. In the same way, when God desired to show even more clearly to the heirs of his promise, which is now us, The unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it by an oath, so that we might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope set before us. Hebrews 6 says, we have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus 
a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever. Jesus, the one who made a promise to his disciples as to us before he departed. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. Jesus Emmanuel is our hope, our sure and steadfast anchor that reminds us that God is with us on the journey. As the Ark of the Covenant walked with the Israelites through victory and through the wilderness, Jesus walked on earth with us. He was tempted in every way so that we would know that we have a God who empathizes with us, a God who is truly with us in every respect. The author of Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance or the reality of things hoped for and the certainty of things not seen. In fact, the author of Hebrews goes on to identify the people of Israel as faithful because it was by faith that Jericho's walls fell after the people marched around them for seven days. The people were certain that God would fulfill their promises because they knew that God was present with them. The Ark of the Covenant was with them and before them, guiding them. There are times on the journey when we come against walls like those of Jericho. In the face of those walls, we call on our faith. When our present reality is overwhelming, we turn to the reality of things hoped for, the certainty of things we cannot see. We turn to the certainty that God is with us, that sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. And sometimes we need strategies to hold on to that certainty. For me, I just recently started a practice of gratitude, each day writing down three specific things that I was grateful for that day as a way of trying to see and remember the presence of God in my life on a daily basis. Or sometimes it's participating in worship together, like this morning. It's an act of reminding us to stay the course in our faith even as we come up against these obstacles and walls. And we worship in anticipation of God fulfilling his promises to us. That is our shout before the walls come down. Or for some, it's like looking up at the mountains and the stars and looking at their majesty and being reminded that there is a power that is greater than us and that same power came down to be with us. God's presence may not always be physical and tangible like it was with the Israelites in the ark, but we know that Christ is dwelling with us and within us. And despite present appearances, God did not abandon his promises to Israel, and God has not abandoned his promises to us. God promised Joshua that he was with Joshua and Israel everywhere they went. Jesus promised the disciples and us that he will be with us every day until the end of the age. There is no height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything else in all of creation that can separate us from that love. 
when we face our Jericho-like walls, we hold on to the certainty that God has been with us and has promised not to leave us nor forsake us. We hold tightly to Christ's promise. I am with you always until the end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you continue to meet us as we stand in anticipation of your promises. We pray that you continue to walk alongside us as we trek through wilderness, through unknown, and as we come up against walls and obstacles that we feel like we cannot overcome. God, would you continue to give us reminders of your presence? We thank you that you promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us, but let us be reminded of it continually. That when we look out into the sky or over the mountains each day, that we would see your majesty and be reminded that you are truly with us always until the end of the age. In your mighty name we pray, amen.